Amen. Well, uh, thrilled that you're here. We're going to kind of continue in worship, looking into God's Word. And if you're new, I, I know I met a, a couple of you, just welcome. Glad that you're here and, and you're kind of jumping in with us in a series called Disciple that we've been looking at kind of going through the Gospel of Matthew, looking at different things to say, okay, here's what it matters to Jesus. Here's the the markers of what it means to be a disciple. So uh, tonight as we get started, uh, here's, I want us to do a transformation project. Are we ready? So transformation is we're going to take this dollar, we're going to turn it into four quarters. What? I know. Just track with me. Here's the deal. This is crowd participation, okay? Um, I have a dollar. What I need is four quarters. So anytime in the next two minutes, if you can round up four quarters, just come up here and I'll trade you because that's how it works is I'll give you a dollar and and four quarters is equal to a dollar. So I'm not jipping you of anything. So uh, you get it. Okay. So I need four quarters. So here's the deal. Oh, awesome. Sweet. You got it up. That was fast. That was. This is the. These are the best quarters in here. I know. All right. Now you may be asking, why are we doing that? It'll make sense in 20 minutes. Um, just track with me. For it'll make sense in 20 minutes. This idea of being a disciple of Jesus is a big deal. So, quick review for those of you who've been uh, kind of coming with us or maybe jumping in now. We've been looking at we we totally missed the Sermon on the Mount, which is early chapters of Matthew, which breaks my heart. But we'll come back to it sometime in the next decade. Uh, but this idea of looking at what are those markers that are mark us as a disciple, as someone who is following after Jesus. We said this is more like an apprenticeship than it is an internship. And to be an apprentice of Jesus means I'm putting myself in position to to walk with him in life. That that, that ancient saying from rabbinical uh, tradition, this idea of may the dust of your rabbi always be upon you. Meaning may the proximity of you following the one that you're following after be so close that their dust would actually end up on you. That the way they do life would become the way that you do life. The, The way they speak or interact or react would be the way that you become a person who does the same. And so it's way more than just an internship. It's about apprenticing and aligning our lives to become that. And so we looked at this idea the very first week that God wants to have this growing willingness within us that we would willingly do and and become more and more like Jesus. And and at the end of Matthew chapter 8, we looked at this idea of, remember Jesus in the boat, and he calms the storm, and the the disciples are uh, kind of overwhelmed by the storm, and then suddenly Jesus calms the storm with two words, and they're undone by who's in the boat with them. And the fact is that this increasing awe, this this idea of worship is to, to mark our lives as a disciple of Jesus. The third week, we looked at this idea of John the Baptist and the struggles and the doubts that come in life, and we realized Uh, we don't want our doubts to drive us away from God. In fact, we want to bring our doubts to God. And we're all going to have those doubts or struggles in those moments. Disciples are not people who never doubt. They're people who insist on depending on Jesus even with their doubts, knowing that Jesus is big enough to meet them, that he doesn't uh, rebuke, he responds, and he meets us in those moments. Last week, we looked at this idea of the invitation of Jesus to come and rest. And that as a disciple, we have this we have this resting faith. We have this resting in him, a posture of rest that it's what Jesus did, it's not what I do. 
and there's also this invitation to this rhythms of rest and how Jesus did that with his early disciples, of pulling them away, investing in them, and then releasing them to do ministry. And there's this rhythms of rest that need to be markers of our lives as well. And so tonight, if you have your Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a story. In fact, he tells several stories. In fact, Matthew 13 is a a collection of about six or seven parables that Matthew collects and writes and records and says this is all about the kingdom of God. This is about the advancement of, of God's ways and his will and his work in our lives moving forward in and the responses that we see. And there's varying responses that actually come out as you read through Matthew 13. Now, a parable is a short story that teaches a moral or spiritual lesson, or it teaches a spiritual truth or a spiritual reality that God wants to get across. In fact, there's 31 parables within the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's really not anything in John. John's kind of a different gospel. And what you have to understand is these parables are about helping us see things from God's point of view, from a spiritual lesson or a spiritual reality. William Barclay, a biblical scholar, writes this, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That in parables, Jesus is taking familiar examples that people would have seen to try to lead people's mind toward heavenly concepts so that people could grasp, here's kind of how God thinks. Here's how God's ways work in the world that he's trying to move forward. So there's a collection of these in chapter 13, all about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. And moving forward, one of the most popular ones is the parable of the sower. And that's what you'll read probably in your Bible. It has that little heading. It says parable of the sower in Matthew 13, verse one, okay? And so what I wanna do is read this to us. I wanna unpack a little of the conversation that the disciples have with Jesus unpack the rest of this parable and what it means, and then the rest of the sermon, I just want to draw application to what this actually means to our life, okay? So that's kind of where we're going with this. Here's the story and how it begins in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says this, that same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Okay, let's just stop there because there's a period. Doesn't that sound delightful? It's 101. I don't think it's 101 at the lake. I think that's why Jesus went and sat there. He went and sat by the lake. That's just a great image. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. What's fascinating about this is Jesus made your ears. God made your ears. He wired you. Hearing is actually one of the very first, uh, uh, one of the first things that are developed in the womb. Jesus knew that if I get in a boat, the water kind of acts like an amplifier. So this is pre-microphone days, and Jesus speaks, and it carries out to all across the shore so people can hear. And then he tells this story. Here's the story. Told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. But still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred 
or 60 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. In fact, that's a famous saying Jesus gives often throughout the Gospels. Whoever has ears, let him hear. What transpires next in Matthew 13 is the disciples coming to Jesus and saying this. Oh, why do you tell so many stories? I don't get it. You can read it. It happens in the next couple verses. The, the disciples, the 12, come to Jesus and say, um, why, why do you teach in all these parables? I, I, I don't quite understand. And Jesus and the disciples have a little bit of dialogue about that. Almost to this idea of Jesus saying, look, these stories are for people, I, I want them to get it, but I want them to hold on to it. And, and to get it takes a little bit of effort. To get it takes a little bit of discernment. It has something to do with their heart condition. That I want them to be open to it. I want them to seize it, pursue it. In fact, he quotes from Isaiah 6, and here's what he says. Quoting from Isaiah 6, written hundreds of years before. For these people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes or hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus is creating this dissonance within the hearers. And it's almost like he's saying, there are some people who are going to get it and some people who don't. But I I want them to pursue it. And I'm going to throw it out here, and I, I want them to get it. But it takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of energy to understand this and to wrap your mind around it. It's almost like this is a use it or lose it type kind of thing. See, the Pharisees were really struggling with understanding. They were struggling listening and understanding exactly what Jesus was saying. They had a a predisposition to one way or the other. And other people could hear Jesus' teaching, and it just wouldn't quite sink in. See, when Jesus tells a parable, he's wanting to get across a point, and in here he tells a story of the parable of the sower. Well, in reality, we can almost call it the parable of the four soils. Right? That's kind of what happens. He tells a story about four different conditions, or soils, if you will. And he relates it to the condition of the heart. He says in, in one, it's kind of like this farmer is throwing out the seed, which is the word of God. And the sower, well, that's Jesus. And he's throwing out the word and the hope and the truth of God and his ways. And for some of it, it just lands on this hard path where people walk. And it maybe even represents people who have hardened their hearts to God and to his ways and to his will and to his truth into his hope. Maybe they've even gotten to a place where in our day and age, they may say, I don't see how science and faith could ever coexist. I've just gotten to a place where maybe I haven't even wrestled with anything long enough to give it credence or effort, or maybe they've just become calloused because of the evil they see in the world, and they say, it just can't be. God, your ways don't work. And that cannot exist. Maybe it's people who have had some difficulties in life. 
and they've hardened their hearts a little bit toward God and resistant to what he has to say. And maybe for others, it's like their faith is shallow. It's rocky and there's, there's dirt around it. It takes a little bit of root, but when the, when the sun comes out, it just becomes scorched. It becomes this place where it, it's shallow, but faith has a way of challenging us. It has a way of calling for us to sacrifice. And, and let's be honest, following Jesus is not easy. And, and so sometimes when that sacrifice is called for and, and pushed for, and for us to say no to ourselves, this person may be like, I, I don't know if I want to do that. And so they kind of say, well, I was excited, but I don't know if that's for me. And maybe for others, they have a passion for it and an excitement for it, but it's kind of like the weeds of life have grown up around and the preoccupation with all the things that have to go and all the things that have to happen and the things that call for our attention. The pursuit of getting into a well-off spot, the pursuit of all these other things that say these are the things that matter, and so we go after them. And they begin to crowd out and choke off the word of God or God's call for us to follow his best and his ways. And yet there's others that God's ways and his will and his truth and his heart kind of begins to take root within us and begins to have this production within our life a hundred or sixty or thirty fold. It's like God is working in and through us in ways that we couldn't even imagine. And it's playing out. Now, how do I know this to be true? Because if you keep reading in Matthew 13, Jesus describes this. So can we just read it? Matthew 13, here's what it says. Matthew chapter 13, verse 16, here's what Jesus says. But blessed are your eyes, speaking to the twelve, because they see in your ears, because they hear. For I truly tell you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to hear and see what you're seeing and what you're hearing. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's sown in their heart. The seed is the seed that's sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once rejoices with joy, but since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away or they fade in the impact that it has in their life. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke out the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 100 or 60 or 30 times. So Jesus gives this description of four different kinds of soil. In, in essence, what he's saying is there's four conditions of a heart. There's four conditions of a heart. And the truth is we will all fluctuate between these conditions will drift one way or another. And so it's important for us to understand where our heart is, to understand what's going on in life. Because if I can understand that, if I can put myself in the right conditions, 
then fruitfulness can happen if the condition of my heart is right. See, a tree or an orchard or a vineyard doesn't sit in the orchard or in the vineyard and then produce fruit. Ugh! Doesn't do that. That's weird to do. Um, just the conditions of the soil have to be right. And when the conditions are right, fruit production happens. It's not about effort of the vineyard or the effort of the orchard or the effort of the tree. When the conditions are right, fruitfulness begins to play out. And so here's what I want to walk through the rest of this message time. The application of what Jesus is trying to drive down and what he's trying to say for us, for me, for you. What is he trying to get a point and get across as this idea of the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, if you will? In one way, it's maybe the first thing is this. Know the seed and the sower for yourself. The seed is the word of God, the ways of God, the hope, the truth of God. The sower is Jesus himself. Know the seed and the sower for yourself. Not just because you come to church or listen to a guy with a microphone, but because you're working on the condition of your heart to know God's heart and his word and his truth for life, and you're trying to know Jesus for yourself. Working on that, aligning yourself in a way that you can do that. Because when the conditions are right, fruit can come. And so it's learning to know the condition of your own heart and to own that and to work on that. We must plant ourselves in Jesus and in his community, the church, in his word, investing in time to know who God is and what he's really like. If you... If you expect to grow just coming here and listening to a couple people teach the Bible, the growth will be shallow because there's only so much for you in that moment. You can learn a lot, but this is about developing a relationship with God and letting the condition of your heart and the soil of your own heart, and so you have to own that. We talk about owning your faith around here. You've got to own that. Now, we can help in that, and we can partner in that. We want to, and we will. But part of this is you owning that, to make yourself, you plant yourself in Jesus, in serving other people, in allowing those conditions to be used by the Holy Spirit to inspire growth within you. We talked about um, the fruit of the Spirit, right? You've heard that term before, Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. It's all these things that are to be become more and more a part of how we live as a disciple of Jesus. That these are the things that are present within the life of Jesus. And these are the, the attitudes of the heart. And these are the actions of a life of one who is following after and apprenticing themselves after Jesus because they're crucified in the flesh and the passions that they desire. And we're wanting to walk in the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5 says. This idea of letting fruitfulness come from your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Listen, it may be a better indicator of your spiritual growth to ask this question. How is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control being 
evident in my life more today than it was two years ago. And if it is, then you're growing. That is a better indicator than how many Bible verses you know and how often you go to church. Those are important, and they're necessary, and it's important to be a part of that and to keep a rhythm of that. But this is about production of God's life within your life becoming more and more evident, that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control become more of how you live. It's the fruit. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. That this is the evidence of your life of being one who is apprenticing themselves after Jesus. Growing in that. Now, think back to the story. It's the parable of the four soils in, in one way. And we'll come back to that. But in your Bible, it's titled the parable of the sower. I didn't quite understand that until this week. Here's what I think that is. We transformed a dollar, right? Into four quarters. Everyone agree that four quarters is equal to a dollar, right? Same page? Okay, good. (coughs) Of these four soils, where would you invest your money? Where would you invest your money? One, two, three, or four? Four. 98% of you said four. Why? I'll tell you why. Because you're American. Watch this. Where does Jesus invest? He doesn't delineate. What's crazy about the sower is that he's not calculated, he's not measured, he's not deliberate. I have a farmer friend, Farmer Bill. He owns a farm in Winkleman. I've been there. It's in Winkleman. You'll drive by it if you sneeze. He grows things for Italy. What? That's what I said when I went there. He's got a GPS-driven tractor that maximizes the use of his field. So it gets the best possible crop. Why? Because that's what American farmers do. That's not what Jesus does. And that blows me away. You know what Jesus does? He's like, man, I'm going to get this word out there. I'm going to get this truth out there. I'm going to get this hope out there. I want people to experience it. And I hope it sticks. but you're not in charge of the harvest, and neither am I. Our job as a co-laborer with Christ, a co-sower, if you will, is not to choose which one's the best because we pick that one. The sower says, I'm for everybody, and I want everybody and anybody to hear this news. And I want them to know that this matters. Here's the point for us. Share God with whomever, whenever, and wherever. He gives you the opportunities to share his hope and his truth and his love.
Because you don't know what will take root and what won't. And when we see the evidence, we celebrate that. But look, it's 25%, right? And, and it's easy for us and our attitude and our actions to look at this and go, well, that's the place I invest. I don't worry about these. But that's not the way Jesus thinks. He says, I'm for everybody, and I hope it sticks. You continually share the seed of God's word and his hope. How do you do that? Three practical ways. You share offline. Uh, For those of you who are like 25 and under, we used to have this thing called conversations, like eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee with people. Um, I know you all kind of work with text and Snapchat and, and, and all that, uh, but we actually used to have these conversations where we'd talk with people like out loud, I know. Um, maybe offline is this idea of seize opportunities with people that you're conversing with to share God's hope with them. And this isn't throwing a Bible verse and walking away. We got too many people who do that. This is about investing yourself into someone else and saying, look, I just want you to know part of the hope I have in life, even when things are messed up, is Jesus. And if you ever want to hear about it, I'd be happy to tell you about it. And you're opening doors and opportunities and within conversations to share with anybody, anywhere. You love people. Why? Because God loves people. He loves every single person. All people matter to God. Thus, they have to matter to me. I don't get to pick and choose because that's not how the sower operates. The sower may be called in our world reckless, extravagant. Yep. That's the reckless love of God. That's why we sing that song. Because God doesn't delineate. He's not overly calculated in saying, I'm only going to invest here. That's where the return is. I'm for all people, and I hope it sticks, and I pray it is, because he doesn't live with a scarcity mindset. He's got more than enough to give. We live with a scarcity mindset. I only have so much, so I want to invest where there's a return. But that's not how God operates. He's got more than enough And so the sower says, I'm for everybody, and I want it to stick. That's why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but what? Our lives as well. We can share offline. This goes back a few weeks to what we talked about, the blessed strategy, right? beginning with prayer, that you're praying for God-divine appointments and opportunities, that you're learning to listen to the people around you, that you eat with people. Here's an amazing reality. People who are not Christians love to eat. How many of you like to eat? Hey, something coming. An opportunity to just eat with people. And maybe in the midst of conversation, you're able to share a story of what God's doing in your life. You're able to to kind of point someone who's going through a struggle to to, to where you've found hope in your life that you can share offline, you can share online. What an amazing time to be alive.
that we have all these online connections and the ability to share things with people. That you could share a verse from time to time. Listen, sharing God's word on social media platforms from time to time is a great thing. You do not have to become Mr. Bible Man. Please don't try to become Miss Spiritual Woman. Don't only post Bible verses. Why? That makes you weird. It does. You know this to be true. But share you, life and sports and everything, and and maybe from time to time you share something about your spiritual journey. You share a verse that's meaningful to you and why. Why? You never know how that's going to impact somebody who's maybe in a transition moment of life, who wants and needs to hear some of those encouraging words. But let me give you a warning. If you're sharing spiritual truths and hope from God's word and you're still a jerk online, stop. Don't share it. Don't ruin Jesus' reputation or the church's reputation because of your mean-spirited attitude. Can I just be frank? That is too evident in our culture, and it's why people have angst against hypocrisy. Be you. Don't be mean. Fair enough? Many of you blog and you share what God's showing in your heart. I know Hannah and Margo and Kimberly and many others of you share what God's doing in your life. You never know how that's going to minister to people and bless them. So share. Find moments to do that. The goal of sowing God's word is not to be obnoxious or over the top with people. It's to be helpful and encouraging and pointing others to the hope and love that you found and that you're experiencing. Did you know that even right through our app, you can text right from the app to people about inviting them to the next after party? Or if there's a sermon that's meant something to you, that you can text that to someone right from within there. What a time to be alive to maximize that. The final thing is share prayer with people. I'm amazed when people share their story and some of the hurt and stuff and angst that's there, and I just go, that sounds really tough. Would you mind if I just pray with you? Nine times out of ten, you know what they say? Yeah, that'd be great. And then do it. What? Yeah, don't say, I will pray for you. Actually do it. Right then. But listen, when you do that, keep it short. Okay? If you launch into super spiritual prayers and you pray for 30 minutes while you're in a parking lot and it's 101 degrees outside and they're a puddle mess of sweat after you're done, you will never get a chance to pray with them again. I would never give you a chance to pray with me again. So if you have that opportunity, keep it short and sweet and just pray God's blessing and wisdom over people and his help. And in that prayer, maybe ask God to show you how you can come alongside and help. Just be normal about this. So share God with whomever, wherever, whenever you get the chance. Isaiah 55 is a great passage. I would encourage you to read it this week. At the tail end of that whole passage, it says this, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish 
so that yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose from which I sent it. That's from God. So as you have an opportunity to share his hope and his truth and his love in practical and tangible ways, it will not return void or empty. It will take root in some way, shape, or form, and it may be years before there's fruitfulness, but that's okay. Because you're to have the heart of the sower. And the sower just says, Man, I hope this takes, and I pray it does. Final takeaway is this. You are responsible for the condition of your heart. Cultivate the right soil within your own heart. There's four different soil types Jesus talks about here. Hard-heartedness, that's the pathway. The shallow faith where trouble comes and maybe I hide or I pull away. This thorny soil, which this idea of the the concerns of this world choke out what God wants to do in this fruitful good soil. We are the stewards and the gardeners and the curators of our own heart. We oversee our receptivity or lack thereof. We do. You do. No one else has responsibility or opportunity for that. You do. Our heart, our responsibility. We must make sure that the soil of our heart is always receptive to what God is saying and what he wants to do in our heart. Now, when you go through different seasons and the ups and downs of life, you may drift toward one other condition. And what do you need to do in that moment? Plow the ground and get the conditions right because that's where fruit comes. It doesn't come from your effort. It comes from just being in the right condition and letting God grow what he has for you. It's like your mama always said, you are responsible for you. Maybe you can say it this way. Our faith doesn't grow by chance. It grows by choice. It's our choice to plow the ground and to get the conditions of our heart right that we can cultivate the right soil within our own heart and keep a receptive heart. That is what marks a disciple. They have a receptive heart to what God's trying to do in their life and where he wants to take them. So here's the simple questions tonight. The three takeaways that we had. Know the seed and the sower. So how are you doing at knowing Jesus and his word for yourself right now in this season of life? How are you doing at that? Is the spirit maybe saying to you, hey, you know what? You haven't been in my word outside of church in three years. What might be the challenge for you? You know what? version Bible reading plan has got like a billion, and I made up that word, reading plans that you could do on your phone wherever you are because I know you have your phone. And so when you're sitting in the doctor's office, you could say, hey, I could look at ESPN or I could read the Bible. I'm not guilting you. I'm just offering you an opportunity to seize that. How are you doing it sharing with others to encourage them about your life and what God's doing in your life? And how are you doing it cultivating your heart to stay receptive to what God has for you? Have you allowed things to spring up in your life to choke you off to receiving everything God has for you? Have you allowed sin to grow in your life blocking your receptivity 
to what God wants to do in and through you? Are you focused on so many other things that you're missing? Because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. All this other stuff will come. The condition of the American Christian, I'm convinced, is here for most. It's here. Not everybody's here. And not everyone's here. There's fluctuate, there's drift. But do you know the condition of your heart? So as we move to a time of communion, as we worship in song, that's the question I have for you. Where are you at? Do you have the heart of the sower in your heart? Or have you drifted to the place where I'm only going to invest when I see a return? Instead of taking opportunity that God gives you to share with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Because you never know. And so, Father, as we lean into uh, just processing this, wrestling with this for ourselves, this is a, a deep parable that's got deep meaning and significance to how we can follow after you as a, a disciple, one who's trying to apprentice in your direction. So, Father, as we take communion, we remember that it's your life, your death, your resurrection that gives us a posture of rest, that calls us to follow after you, that challenges us to, to work on the condition of our own heart, that we stay open and receptive to what you have for us and the next steps you have for each one of us. Wherever we are in our journey with you, we have a next step. Father, maybe there's some of us here who need to be challenged a little bit to say, you gotta share more. You're just keeping it bottled up. And so would you show us opportunities to share, to sow your heart and your hope into the lives of people that we get to intersect life with. Father, would you be at work in our hearts as we worship you in these songs? Would you stir us with what maybe our next step this week is to say yes to you? We ask that in Jesus' precious name.